This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. You all asked such great questions. Uh, some of what you were asking is in this presentation, and, and uh, there'll be overlap with what Melissa said. And uh, because I'm doing sacramental practice, you'll hear a bit more about mass attendance uh, from, from a different perspective, uh, but still grounded in our data. One of those pieces of data that you're going to see today, no one has seen yet. Uh, except me, actually. This is the first time that it appears uh, in, in public. And it, we, after emerging models, we decided that there were other questions unanswered, questions that were of interest to us at CARA. Uh, so within the last year, we conducted our own uh, parish survey, single informant parish survey, to ask pastors and other people in leadership about what was going on in their parish. Uh, some of that includes data for 2013. But most often we were asking about 2012. So the call that I most often get in my offices right now is about the Francis effect. And uh, I always tell people we, we can't know yet. Um, it'll maybe the first numbers that we get uh, that'll give us something relevant to say will probably be in the summer when we get new sacramental data from the, uh, the OCD. Uh, but there is, uh, I think, a, a glimmer of some of it uh, here, which uh, I'll, I'll point to in the presentation. So. This is from uh, our CARA Catholic poll, which is where we, again, we're surveying a national representative sample of self-identified Catholics. And this study uh, in particular was commissioned by the Bishops' Conference, and they wanted to know more about what Catholics thought about sacraments and what, the, what sacramental life was like for your average Catholic. So this was a question about how meaningful Catholics in the United States uh, considered different sacraments. And this is broken out here by mass attendance. And you can see, if you look at weekly attenders, people who go to Mass uh, every week or more often there in the far left column, nine and ten or more say that each of the sacraments is somewhat or very meaningful to them, uh, led by baptism uh, and then really no statistical differences there with, with the Eucharist. As you move to uh, less than weekly but at least once a month, which is a, which is a particularly growing and important uh, part of the Catholic population to us, uh, that actually look a lot like weekly mass attenders in a number of ways. You can see for the first four that are listed there, baptism, Eucharist, marriage, and confirmation, the, the statistics are really quite similar, and then a bit of drop-off for anointing of the sick, holy orders, and reconciliation. If you look at Catholics who say they attend mass a few years or less often, less often you see a dramatic drop-off here in terms of how meaningful the sacraments are to them. Uh, and what is interesting is you see uh, marriage move into uh, the top spot uh, ahead of baptism, uh, and the Eucharist. So looking at the data for sacramental practice over time, here are uh, infant baptism, marriages, and funerals, and you'll see why I'm focusing on those three, uh, particularly uh, in, in the next slide. But these are the trends here from the 1970s uh, through 2011. And you can see there is a more recent fall off in infant baptisms that we're particularly interested in at CARA right now. Part of that is birth rate. Uh, the Great Recession did affect fertility rates across the population, including for Catholics, so fewer kids means fewer infant baptisms. But there's something more there, as we'll see in a moment. Um, you see there, uh, funerals is uh, quite consistent over time, but marriages, uh, we have a pretty big drop uh, from the 1970s to 2011. Now, if we look at this in terms of what percentage each of these events make up of, say, infant baptisms of, as a percentage of all U.S. live births, a number that we get from the government. 
And if we look at church marriages as a percentage of all U.S. marriages and funerals as a percentage of all estimated U.S. Catholic deaths, uh, and look at that in percentage terms, we see something interesting. One, the green line here and, and data points represent Catholic affiliation, which really has been cons consistent since 1945. It's been about a quarter of the population. Last year it was 24% according to Gallup's aggregated polls. That doesn't change much. However, you can see here there are changes in some of these other indicators of sacramental life. So baptisms, you can see, have now fallen to 20%. So 20% of all live births uh, end up in resulting in a Catholic baptism. That means that there are some people out there who self-identify as Catholic, but who aren't baptizing their children, at least right away as, as infants. One of those questions really is, why is this, this happening? You can see funerals here has fallen down to 16%, so there are some Catholics who are passing away and choosing not to have a Catholic funeral. But marriages is the most strongly affected, so it goes from 20% of all marriages in the 1970s, and it's fallen out to 8%. It's not that Catholics are less likely to marry, have children, or die, uh, but in this case, uh, many Catholics are choosing to marry outside the church. So a majority of Catholics today, when they face their marriage, often getting married at the beach or the country club or something instead of their parish. And there's a variety of reasons uh, why, we, why we think that is. If you look at the marriage data more specifically, um, here is these green bars are marriages in the church in terms of the absolute number. And then the question that we always get, which is also uh, posed of well, what about divorce and annulments? Divorce isn't up here, but I will say that uh, if you look at the blog, a recent posting shows that Catholics are less likely to divorce than any other American. Uh, it is not 50-50. It's not 50-50 for the whole population. Those most likely to divorce are, are people without a religious affiliation. The Catholics are actually the least likely, so it's about 28% of Catholics who've ever married end up divorcing at some point in their life. Some of them seek an annulment, and you can see we used to be the world leader in seeking annulments. Um, I think we still might be, uh, but the annulment numbers here are falling. So the blue bars here represent the number of new cases, new, new annulment cases that are opened in any given year. So those are falling as well as uh, with, with marriages in the church. Now, the effect of baptisms on the population is one of those questions we, we often get. Is, is, are baptisms enough to keep the, the Catholic population where it is? And this is kind of a, a, here a, a spreadsheet for 2007 to 2008 where we have a number of very large data sets where we can drill down into these specific numbers. And you'll hear often that um, Catholicism remains 23, 24, 25% of the population only because of immigration. Uh, this is an, an attempt to break that out for these specific years. So if you look here, there's the number of infant baptisms in 2007, adult baptisms, receptions in the full communion. You've got estimates of immigration. These are government numbers, and then we use Pew data, Gallup data to, to estimate what percentage of immigrants are Catholic. Then you've got the total estimated number of Catholic deaths. And then you've also got in the red number there, the estimated number of Catholics who leave the faith. Now, as you heard from Melissa, that doesn't mean that they're gone forever. Some of them will come back. There'll be reverts in the future. But people who stop considering themselves to be Catholic, stop self-identifying as such. So what you see here is that 58% of new Catholics in any given year come in through baptism or through RCIA. 24% were baptized in another country and have come to the United States through immigration. 18%, the green number there, are estimated to be the people coming home the reverts in any given year. So the Catholic Church would still grow without immigration. It would be quite small, but it would still be positive, positive growth. If you look at 
over time, the contribution of immigration uh, to the Catholic population. The blue bar there are Catholics who are born in the U.S. to native-born parents. The red segment is born in the U.S. to at least one foreign-born parent. And then the green segment is foreign-born. So this is the 23-24% the of the population broken out by how they become Catholic or how they come to the United States. And you can see really it's that red portion, if you look back in the early 1980s, being replaced by the green portion. They've kind of swapped and the blue has remained uh, quite steady. Even though the blue goes from 16.7% to 14.3%, it's still growing in absolute uh, numbers of Catholics born to native born parents. So um, this is just a point to make that baptism is really, really important. Uh, immigration alone is not enough to keep Catholicism where it, where, um, it is in terms of as a growing vibrant uh, faith, which we could, we expect strong growth continued in the future, not only us, so, so does Gallup and other uh, researchers, but baptism is something that we're really concerned about because we see that dip in numbers that I showed previously. So why could this be? Why? There's a variety of hypotheses we could explore. Um, one of them, and, and we think it's probably one of the best, is you've got a growing population but with weakening ties. So if we ask here, would you, would you call yourself a strong Catholic or not a very strong Catholic from 1974 to, to 2012? You can see that dark green portion here, which is the percentage of Catholics saying that they're a strong Catholic, has declined from 46% in 1974, now down to about 27% in 2012. So it's that Catholic parent who has a child and necessarily, doesn't necessarily think that baptism is the first thing on their mind. Faith isn't as important or central, perhaps, in their daily life. Now, what we do see is there's an increase in baptisms of children. So um, that, that space between infancy and, and, and adult baptisms, which may be representative of some of these people eventually getting around to it, but not as um, baptizing their infants. So looking at our, our parish survey here in terms of the sacramental results, this, these are the uh, yet to be uh, released data here. What does it say? And I will say there are some things that definitely surprise me about what's going on in sacramental life in US parishes. First, um, we have new data here, obviously on the number of individual registered parishioners. We also have the number of unregistered individuals who are regularly attending mass. And then we have the number of mass attenders. And then the number of children enrolled in parish-based religious education. We asked pastors to provide these data for 2008, and then again in 2012, which could give us an idea of how these are changing. So this is, these are national numbers. And you can see if you apply the number of mass attenders there to the number of registered parishioners and unregistered who are attending mass, about one in three parishioners are attending mass uh, in, in, uh, per weekend uh, in an average week basically October um, when headcounts are done. But you can see positive growth numbers in three out of four here, that pastors are reporting to us on a national level an increase in the number of registered parishioners, an increase in the unregistered, which is actually the strongest, and an increase in mass attenders. Why would we see such a strong growth in unregistered? Well, part of it's um, immigration. So immigrants are less likely to register than um, uh, native-born Catholics. And it's also age and changing culture. Younger Catholics, millennial Catholics specifically, are less likely to join membership organizations. And it's not just the Catholic Church, it's uh, you know, the, the Kiwanis Club, it's uh, uh, the PTA, all kinds of, they're less likely to join brick and mortar organizations and more likely to see their digital memberships as being important and um, essential. So we've got a growing number here of unregistered. 
It's really, though, a tale of two churches. And when people look at these data, they'll either say, you're right on, or they'll say, you're nuts. And uh, the place where people will most often say you're nuts is in the Northeast and Midwest, which is what Melissa highlighted a bit. And that's what we see here. So your average parish in the Northeast is seeing fewer registered parishioners, is seeing fewer mass attenders. And it also goes for the Midwest uh, to some extent, if you see the third, the third bars there. Whereas in the South and the West, you see a dramatically different portrait. And they were, they're essentially experiencing two different versions of Catholic Church in the early 21st century. If you're in the South and West, you see a growing, vibrant church with more people year after year, whereas in the Northeast and the Midwest, you don't. And it, when you look at all the national numbers, on balance, it comes out as growth. But depending on where you are, there's a very different perspective. In terms of who's in the pews, uh, Melissa showed the, the breakdown from who we survey uh, when we ask pastors to estimate here, including both the parishioners and the unregistered attendees, about 59% are age 40 or older, and about 21% are children under the age of 18. So pretty consistent with what we see in Pew. My generation, the post-Vatican II generation, or Generation X in secular terms, is the most numerous group right now in, in the pews and involvement in the church. But again, there's a bit of a difference here by region. So you, you see this broken out here for the Northeast, the Midwest, and the South, and the West. And it is the case that the Northeast is a place where you're most likely to see many parishioners 65 and older, 33% uh, of the people that are, are, are in the pews. Whereas you've got younger numbers in, in, the, uh, in the West, and even in the Midwest, and, and, and in the South. Uh, the Midwest overall tends to have smaller parishes, uh, but there is some, some parallels here. And again, you can see that green segment, 40 to 64, being the largest segment for all of the regions except the Northeast. Here's the data that was surprising. Uh, and again, there's region matters, but we asked uh, about the number of individuals uh, showing up for these sacraments and rites, uh, 2008 and 2012. And again, you can see quite strong growth reported by pastors here in the survey. Uh, so you see, um, for example, baptisms of youth growing by 30.8%. Again, that represents what I said before. Maybe there are, there are fewer who are baptizing their children in that first year and showing up later uh, for baptism. So you see stronger growth in baptisms of youth than you see in baptisms of infants or child. Um, you see first communions, first reconciliations, confirmations all growth, uh, and then even down at the bottom, the first time we've ever asked this, we asked about the average number of reconciliation attenders in a week. So on average, uh, a parish had 11 in 2008, 11 people per week uh, for reconciliation. That's increased to 14.4. Uh, that is a 30% increase. So you can see modest increases. I think most people would look at these numbers and they would expect negative signs across the board. And it's just not what we see in the national data. Now, um, just to do a, a sanity check here, we wanted to compare, all right, how representative is our data to say what's reported in the official Catholic directory? So take the total number of infant baptisms, divide it by the total number of parishes. And you can see we're pretty right on with our survey that this isn't something we're just imagining. Um, if you uh, compare here the green bars or the OCD estimates, and then there's what we get from the surveys, we actually have a slightly lower number of infant baptisms per parish 
uh, but all the others are, are really consistent across the board. So what pastors are reporting to us is, is real. Um, there is a data match out there for this. But there is, again here, a, a regional difference, and you would expect with smaller numbers of parishioners that there's gonna be fewer uh, sacraments and rites celebrated in the Midwest, and that's represented here. You can also see with an older population, the Northeast has more funerals than other, uh, other regions here, whereas the, uh, the West has a lot of baptisms of infants and children. So again, this whole tale of two churches that's going on by region in the United States. If we looked at what is the most common sacrament that parishioners might experience, it's First Communions. And again, this is the, an artifact of the Great Recession and the drop in fertility and the drop in infant baptisms. Many parishes now celebrate more First Communions than they celebrate in baptisms per year. And that's probably going to happen here for a number of years until infant baptisms begin increasing again. So it's the, the, the fertility that occurred prior to the Great Recession that you see coming through now with uh, First Communions. So First Communions, baptism of infants, confirmations, and funerals. Uh, whereas you start to see marriages uh, being, again, the most strongly affected in terms of having uh, fewer. So this is the number of these parishioners per sacrament celebrated in a parish. So for every one First Communion, on average, there are 88 parishioners. We asked parishes about their mass style, again, trying to get to some of that idea of the drive-by parishioner. The average parish has three to four weekend masses, and 9% uh, of Pastors told us that they only have one mass in a typical weekend, but of the others, we asked about how similar or different than they are, and 50% said that their masses are very similar, identical in style. 29% one or more is somewhat different in style from the others, and then 12% one or more is very different in style from, from the others. So it is the case that even in parishes with multiple masses here, more often than not, they're offering a very similar mass uh, in all of those weekend masses. We asked about what types of masses they offer, and uh, you can see here that um, masses without um, masses with instruments other than it, other than or in addition to a piano organ. Sixty-seven percent of parishes said they offered at least one of these a month. Children's liturgy, youth teen mass. The one that gets the most interest whenever we post it on Twitter is the final one. Five percent say Latin mass. Uh, so um, that's just about nine hundred parishes in the country that offer at least one Latin mass a month. And here are the drive-by numbers. This is how it's broken out overall. Um, Melissa had shown it to you by race and ethnicity, but it is the case now that 35% of Catholics say that they currently live closer to another parish. So um, it's not just by race and ethnicity, it's also by millennials. So those young Catholics, which I talked about being less likely to join, to register with a parish, part of that is because they are doing more parish shopping. They view their search for parish and parish life as finding a place that fits them best. So to the degree that a, a pastor or a parish is thinking about how do we draw in young adults, um, they're looking, uh, but they're looking often in multiple places, uh, attending mass perhaps once a month uh, for a few months until they connect with a parish. Uh, Melissa showed you this, mass attendance is steady. I just wanna note that even with mass attendance steady as a percentage, this is the percent of Catholics saying that they attend mass weekly in our national polls, Amongst a growing population, that means that there are more mass attenders every year. So what pastors are reporting to us about more mass attenders on a national level is real, even with a stable percentage. That actually means growth in real numbers of, of parishioners. 
And I will say, Kara takes great care in answering this question. You'll see Gallup or, or Pew actually report these crazy figures like 45% of Catholics say they attend Mass. It's because they use telephone polls and there's a social desirability effect and people want to say that they're doing a good thing and, and that they're going to Mass every week when reality is different. Our surveys are self-administered, so they're taking it either on a, through a computer or they're taking it through their television in this uh, Knowledge Network's very large representative panel using probability sampling. That removes the social desirability effect and it gives us a really accurate portrait of how many are attending in any given week. Now, when we ask a question like this, um, how much do you agree? I think of myself as a practicing Catholic in the CARA Catholic poll. You can see that the population breaks down into two different sections. You've got 32% um, and 22% agreeing somewhat or strongly, and then you've got less uh, than half there either neither agree or disagree or disagree somewhat or disagree strongly. So if it's almost a coin flip that your average Catholic will consider themselves a practicing Catholic or not a practicing Catholic, we really want to know, well, what differentiates people? What ends up putting that person putting themselves in either one of these categories? What does it have to do with their sacramental life? What does it have to do with their education? And this kind of pulls together some of the different pieces of data, hopefully, that I'm showing you. Now, here it is, uh, agreement or disagreement. I think of myself as a practicing Catholic. If you attend Mass weekly, 94% of Catholics who attend Mass weekly consider themselves practicing Catholics. 5% um, neither agree or disagree, and 2% uh, disagree. Now, of those who attend monthly, 83% consider themselves practicing Catholics. Now, we often say here, not that the church, obviously church teachings haven't changed or anything, but in the data, what we see is, is monthly is the new weekly especially among millennial Catholics. And it's, there's a difference between the Catholic who goes Christmas and Easter and the Catholic who goes month, at least once a month. And increasingly younger Catholics, that's how they see their commitment to the church as a practicing Catholic. I make it there at least once a month. And then you can see, even among people who attend a few times a year or less often, 28% agree to see themselves as a practicing Catholic. But you can see most of them, 48%, actually disagree. They realize, no, I'm not really a practicing Catholic because I only go at Christmas and Easter or perhaps even less often. So looking at kind of the background of Catholics and how do they, how do they fit in terms of people's consideration of practicing or non-practicing, here you can see the effect of Catholic schools. So, if, you, if a respondent never attended a Catholic educational institution, about 53% consider themselves practicing, 47% non-practicing. Elementary school, there's no real statistical difference. So if you go to a Catholic elementary school, you're no more likely uh, only um, to consider yourself practicing than if you did not. The real effect is at high school and then even more at college, especially a Catholic who's gone throughout from, from elementary school to high school. So there you start to see a real effect. At high school, 61%, and at college, 80%. Uh, you, you just, it's really that the early childhood years where we see less of an effect later on in life at, into an adulthood. Here it is by whether they were confirmed or not. So you can see the importance of confirmation here, and we do see a fall off in the percentage of Catholics who are confirmed. But if you celebrate your confirmation, 60%. Consider themselves a practicing Catholic. If you didn't, 31%. So you can see there the importance of having children follow through up through it to get confirmed in terms of them being a Catholic and a practicing Catholic later in life. And then here it is by where you went, when you entered the church. Uh, so you can see your average cradle Catholic, baptized an infant, 54%. Now here's the one that's really troubling. Look at, look at what happens if you're baptized, you enter the church as a child, okay, not after your infant years. 
Only 36% grow up and consider themselves a practicing Catholic. So what is it about those years? What is it about being baptized as a child rather than as an infant that has this neg apparent very negative impact in terms of being a practicing Catholic later in life? And then look at if you enter the faith as a teenager or as an adult. Essentially, these are conversions often. There you see a very strong percentage saying that they're a practicing Catholic. In fact, we see people who go through RCIA being the most informed, active Catholics. They make up a, a huge part of the core of Catholic Church and parish life. And in fact, how many of you were converted to Catholicism, were raised in another faith? You're proving me wrong? Your arms are tired? Just, wow, that's, that's usually, a, that's much fewer than I, I would expect. Um, but they, they, they tend to be very active in parish, take on parish uh, positions, to be very, um, aware of church teachings, for example, because they've had this education and they made this commitment through RCIA as adults, whereas people entering as children, they may not fully understand the teachings that they're being introduced. We see this specifically with um, belief in real presence. Most people who do not believe in the real presence are unaware that the church teaches the real presence. So only about 4% of Catholics do not believe in the real presence and are aware that the church teaches the real presence. So most of those who do not believe it, just it, the teaching never made it into their head. And part of that may be the point at which we're making that formation experience. They may be too young, or it may not be made, being made as effective. Whereas if you are taught that as an adult or as a teenager, it's much more likely to stick. Now, Melissa pointed to missing mass and asking people why they miss mass. And this is the big difference between perhaps monthly attenders and the Christmas and Easter attenders and less often. The dark green are the people that go monthly, whereas the light green are Christmas and Easter or less often. And you can see there the people who only come at Christmas and Easter, they say, I don't believe that missing mass is a sin. I'm not a very religious person. Whereas the monthly attenders say busy schedule, lack of time, family responsibilities, uh, health problems or disability or conflict with work. They're bringing up kind of real world things that are leading to them uh, to, to not attend weekly. So there's a big disparity between those two groups. You could, that's probably why they're more likely to see themselves as practicing Catholics, because they see these other things intervening in their life, making it weekly attendance less possible for them. Here it is over time, and someone asked, well, will, will this increase? So here's pre-Vatican II, Vatican II, post-Vatican II, and millennials in terms of monthly attenders. So 36% of millennials attend monthly, 39% of post-Vatican II, 42% of Vatican II, and 65% of pre-Vatican II Catholics. There is life cycle effects. Um, as people age, they, they tend to come back to the parish. That's where we get the reverts, and they, their mass attendance increases. But we do think there is something there between the pre-Vatican II and Vatican II Catholics. We don't think as Vatican II Catholics age that they will reach that 65%. So there is a cultural um, period effect that we do think the mass attendance for these generations will rise as they age, but not to the same level as they did among pre-Vatican II Catholics. In terms of sacramental celebrations, here again is a note of concern. So here's the same by generation with the lightest green here being the millennials. And this is having your first confession, having your first communion, having confirmation. And the last one is the one that to really focus in on confirmation. So 95% of pre-Vatican II Catholics have been confirmed, whereas only 69% of millennial Catholics have. A real drop off in that particular sacrament. We had a special opportunity uh, two years ago to survey Catholics ages 14 to 17. It's difficult to do a teenage survey. Um, and uh, 
these are some of the results we asked that group right now. So these are teenagers in the church right now. What did they celebrate? And it really does parallel here. So 62% had baptism, first communion, and confirmation. 22% uh, baptism and first communion only. And then 60% baptism only among those aged 14 to 17. One of the reasons that some of these young Catholics aren't celebrating all these sacraments has to do with being enrolled in a Catholic school. So you can see here across generations at the top, these are the Catholics who attended a Catholic primary school versus those who did not attend a Catholic primary school. So even though primaries, Catholic primary school may not affect being a practicing Catholic later in life, it does affect the likelihood that you're going to be confirmed. So there is a, a indirect effect here. Whereas if you're not attending a Catholic primary school, it really drops off, especially uh, for millennials. So what we think is, is if you're in a Catholic school, it kind of, it supplants that, the effort that parents used to really make that, that contribution. So if a parent really isn't making that effort to have their child confirmed or have their first communion, uh, the school kind of fills in that role and the child may go home and ask, you know, all my friends are going through this, why aren't I? You know, what, and, and that helps push them to receive those childhood sacraments. The problem is, of course, is you've got fewer and fewer Catholics in Catholic schools. So, uh, you've got 29% um, of millennial generation Catholics have been enrolled in a Catholic educational institution compared to a majority of pre-Vatican II Catholics, 55%. And these data <coughs> really are, are, are reality for many here. So if you look at um, our teenage sample again and asking where is your religious education coming from, one in four teenagers say they haven't had any religious education, Catholic teenagers. 44% have had parish-based religious education. 14% have been to Catholic school. 18% have had both Catholic schooling and uh, parish-based religious education. The number of Catholic schools is in decline. So here's primary and secondary schools over time. Uh, primary schools being more strongly affected than secondary schools. So um, primary schools are on a kind of a steep slope here uh, of, of fewer and fewer schools each year. And it's not the same parallel to say parishes where you see parishes opening up in the South and West it's less likely that you're gonna see a school open than you will see a parish opened in a, in a strong growth, Catholic growth area. Part of this is economics. This should be a surprise to no one, but part of it's staffing. So here's the percentage of staff in Catholic schools that are religious or clergy and those that are layperson. You can see there in the 1970s, you see essentially these two paths cross. And now you've obviously got majority lay people in, in Catholic schools. That is an entirely different human resources situation, salaries, benefits. Um, which affects the economics of schools to whereas it's increasingly difficult for schools to meet uh, their budgets based on tuition alone. So here you can see the average parish elementary school tuition in green, the per pupil cost in blue, and then the gap between those two that are often made up by parish subsidies or diocesan subsidies. There's actually some good news in recent years that need for subsidy has decreased a little bit. But part of that is because some of the schools that have been struggling the most have closed and you've got probably a healthier population of schools there left. But the, you see a significant gap. And the, the, the real pressure is, is can you increase tuition more? And you're really at kind of this tipping point where you can't, where schools become unaffordable for your average Catholic. And it's gonna get worse. So that baptism data that we're talking about, here it is projected forward. So the blue bars here are the Catholic infant baptisms projected six years forward. So when they would be entering school, and then the red numbers are the actual number of first graders enrolled in Catholic schools. And you can see the drop off coming in 2014, 15, 16, and 17. There's just gonna be fewer Catholics entering their preschool, kindergarten, first grade. And part of that is we're living out the realities of the Great Recession and the changes in fertility now. 
So it will take you know, 12 years into the future to get past that if fertility increases and you see a number of increasing baptisms. So Catholic schools are gonna come under a, a bigger crunch in the coming years. It's also the case that schools have, have had a more difficult time attracting Hispanic Catholic students here. So you can see the green bars of the US adult Catholic population, the blue are the race and ethnicity of US Catholic students K through 12. And um, the fastest growing part of young, the young adult uh, and child uh, Catholic population is Hispanic, but they're not enrolling in schools uh, at the same, degree, the same degree as other Catholics. So what are the school results from the Paris survey? Well, um, here we're just beginning to crunch these numbers. 43% of parishes in the country now say that they, they don't have an association with a school. 28% have a parish school as a sole sponsor. And then 29% sponsor a school with other parishes. So you still have a majority there, uh, but uh, 20, down to 28% as a sole sponsor. And uh, here it is broken out by region, where you can see the Northeast and the Midwest. You've got 38% um, saying no uh, in the Northeast and 42% in the Midwest, but the most likely to say no is in the West at 51%. In terms of the total number of students parishes are providing to schools, uh, again, we saw that previous slide about how many children there are in a parish, and many parishes aren't sending, you know, it, not a, a strong number of those, uh, who could be sent are being sent to school. So on average, 268 if they have a parish school, 115 if they have an interparochial school. We asked about how many of your, the children in your parish celebrating their first communion or confirmation um, were enrolled in the parish school. And you can see that 27% uh, said none for first communion and 42% said none for confirmation. Again, which is just the stark reality of many of the kids in the parish aren't being sent to the, the Catholic school or the number of those kids being sent is, is not large enough for it to be uh, one of those darker bars there at the 50 to 74 percent or 75 to 100 percent. We asked about the relationship between the parish and the school. So we asked, uh, is information about the parish or regional school printed in the parish bulletin? And does the pastor or parish life coordinator at the parish or regional school, how often are they there? and uh, can be never occasionally, at least once a month and at least once a week. And we do see there that weekly, 51% uh, of parishes say that information about the school is in their bulletin, and 58% say the pastor or the parish life coordinator is at the school on a weekly basis. As about what kind of uh, activities the parish does with the school, and most often there, there's something during National Catholic School Week, um, then there's fundraising events, family fun days, and social activities, and spiritual retreats. So we do see those parishes that do have a relationship with the school tend to have quite a still vibrant connection with it. However, many are facing deficits because of the school. So it's really a 50-50 proposition here. So uh, among schools with deficits, an average of $165,000 is provided by the parish to defray that deficit. So 50% saying they have a deficit um, and 50% saying they don't. And that definitely differs by region with schools in the Northeast and the Midwest most likely to be facing a deficit, which is the same, the demographic picture that we expect. So to end on a, pro, a, a positive note, what, what is there in, in, in our data that, that points to a brighter tomorrow? Um, and, and this I mean quite literally. Um, these are data from the Catholic poll about do people kind of do they wear their Catholicism? 
And uh, by you know, wearing a crucifix or a cross or carrying a rosary or a religious medal or a pen or a prayer card or a scapular, you can see pre-Vatican II Catholics are more likely to do all those things. And if you look at the millennials there at the second to last grouping, um, they are less likely to do many of these things, many of these traditional ways in which people wore their Catholicism. However, what is interesting in our data is that tomorrow, Tomorrow, a day without obligation, millions of Catholics will be in churches to receive ashes and wear their Catholicism on their face. And my, the closest parallel, I'm a political scientist, so maybe that's why I think this works. The closest parallel I can think to it is that I voted sticker. If you don't have ashes on your forehead tomorrow, you're a bad Catholic. You're saying that to the world, regardless of the obligation. This is a day in which Catholics wear their identity. And it's a day that, as we'll see, it really, really connects with millennial Catholics. If you're wondering, what are millennial Catholics seeking? What energizes them? What, what do they really want to be involved in? It? It's Lent. It's about to happen right now. They're more likely to be in your parish now than they will be any other time of the year. And it starts with tomorrow. And it doesn't just happen on their forehead. It happens on their Facebook pages, on their Twitter pages. They're going to talk about what they're giving up for Lent and how it's a struggle. Uh, it's part of their community, the way they do community and the way they do membership. So if we look at, over time, kind of weekly estimates of mass attendance, we expect about 45% of Catholics, self-identified Catholics, to be at Mass tomorrow. And then about 52% will be at Easter. You actually have a higher percentage who attend uh, at Christmas at 68%. But in terms of overall activity, sustained activity over uh, many weeks, Lent is the period with the greatest activity. The part in the green box over there is October. That's when we do our Mass attendance headcounts in many dioceses, particularly low, part, low levels of attendance. Um, you can see here, every day here, which has something to do with a whole day of obligation, you get a little bit of a bump, but nothing matches Lent, Easter, and Christmas. And we ask Catholics, do you abstain from meat on Fridays during Lent? And you can see, these, this, is, this is a weird outcome. Most graphs that we produce that look at things by generation, there's a drop-off, right? The old Catholics do it, the young Catholics don't. Here, there really is no statistically significant drop-off. Catholics of every different um, group here are just as likely to abstain from meat on Fridays during Lent. And in fact, even among Catholics who don't go to church at all, who say, they, I rarely or never go to church, a majority give up meat during Lent. Why are they doing? What are they doing? They don't even go to get, get, get ashes. It's because it's a way that they can do Catholic that's outside of a parish. And what parishes might need to really think about is, how can we bring those Catholics who still want to do Catholic things, who still think of themselves as Catholics, who, who this is still part of their ritual, how can we get them back into prayer? What is it about Lent? What is it about these things that really connect with even the, the non-practicing Catholic? Part of it, I think, has to do with food. <laughs> so there's all kinds of things in the culture and politics of you. So, you know, breaking bread to a rich person having bread. Immigrants who come to this country, usually the last thing that they lose as they assimilate is their food. They'll drop their, 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 their uh, um, language, they'll drop you know, their connections to the home country, they may even drop their religion. So we do see Catholic immigrants, a significant percentage of Catholic immigrants who stop being Catholic, that the last thing to go, if it ever goes, is food. That's the one thing that sticks. And there's so much about food that happens in Lent, about giving up food, and about the fish fry on, 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 on Fridays that these, these cultural ways of connecting and, and, and being part of community, and the, that the food and the ashes on the forehead, it is a, it is a pathway into identity. And I'd ask you just to think about your millennials a little bit. They, they are very different than us. There's a huge technology divide. 
And your average millennial these days sleeps for eight hours, then goes to school or work for eight hours, and then they spend eight hour, the other eight hours, almost entirely, the rest of their leisure time, in a digital world. In the social sciences, we're talking about, are they, are they willingly walking into Plato's cave? And um, it, it could be video games, it could be with digital content, with their, you know, with their cell phones. Uh, but one of the things that brings them out is something like Lint. They do it on social networks. Um, and it's part, trying to invite them back to do that type of community in, in the parish. It's, a, it's an identity moment, this period that we're in. And just to prove the point, besides, this is a true rarity. I, I don't know of any other figure that looks like this. Besides meet on Fridays, do you give up or abstain from anything else during Lent? Millennials are more likely than any other group to say yes. In fact, the, the, the fact that this is sloping up for the younger Catholics being more likely to do this than older Catholics. I don't know of anything else that looks like this. Still, it'd be great if the percentage was higher, but it just shows you the power of what's gonna happen here in these coming weeks for our youngest Catholics. And it's an important moment, not only perhaps inviting reverts back, but for inviting our youngest Catholics back.